Tonight we're continuing our school of theology, considering the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, one holy, Catholic, apostolic church. And this evening we're considering officers in Christ's church, elders and deacons. I'd like for us as we begin to consider the big picture of of why does the church exist? What is the ultimate purpose of Christ's church? Why are we here as the people of the Lord Jesus? In certain parts of our state, you may have seen the large blue cab trucks with Blue Max trucking. Uh, They haul all kinds of materials across North and South Carolina, especially the northern part of South Carolina. And on the side, the side of the truck, and sometimes perhaps in the back, uh, is this motto, this slogan, building the Carolinas one load at a time. And so the truck driver, very simple job of transporting material from one place to another, is reminded of the great purpose Uh, Those that are involved in loading the materials, uh, those that receive the different materials, know that Blue Max Trucking is all about building the Carolinas one load at a time. And we're reminded in the scriptures uh, that the church exists ultimately for the glory of our great triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul, writing in the book of Ephesians, is is caught up with what God has done in redemption in the Lord Jesus and the wonderful spiritual blessings that we who know Christ now enjoy, that it might all be to the praise of his glory. And later in the book of Ephesians, he uh, speaks that it might be glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all ages forever and ever. We as Christian believers are now caught up with living for the glory of the Lord. Uh, Paul describes that our, we have a new ambition, a new aim in life, and that is that we might please him, as he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Or that well-known verse that is the theme verse for many people, as Paul writes to the church at Corinth in chapter 10 of his first letter, uh, whether we, you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Now, I know our handout is pretty extensive. I'm going to keep it moving. We're going to be kind of flying at a high altitude, and then we'll come down, and hopefully the ride won't be uh, overly bumpy, too bumpy for us in this process as we consider uh, uh, Christ's church in the role of elders and deacons. But we as the people of God, as we've come to know Jesus, are involved in bringing him worship and praise, of declaring his greatness. We're described by the Apostle Peter as a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his Marvelous light. And so this acknowledgement of the greatness of the Lord Jesus, of our existence for his praise, comes to expression in our worship 
of him. We've been made a kingdom and priest that we might worship and bring our praise to our God. So we think about the role of elders and deacons. We need to consider this initial and larger context of why does the church exist. We also need to consider something of the mission of the church. What is the task given to us? This will be part of what we'll hear next week in our Girado lecture uh, next week. But the Lord Jesus has gathered a people to himself and he sends us out in his name. He says, even as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And so we are those who are sent in God's name that we might go and make disciples of all nations, that we might proclaim uh, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that we might be those who are involved in helping one another grow in grace, that we might present, as Paul writes to the Colossians, everyone mature in Christ, that we might be growing in Christ-likeness. Our uh, Westminster Confession of Faith and the chapter having to do with Christ's church, chapter 25 in the third paragraph or section, uh, speaks of this uh, aspect of our growth. Unto this visible church, Christ hath given the ministry, oracles, and ordinances of God for the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life and to the end of the world. And we're given a marvelous description of the body of Christ in that uh, essential primary verse, a description of the church in Acts chapter 2. That early church gathered at Jerusalem as they are devoted to the Lord, uh, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Uh, this sense of their desire that they might grow in grace and their knowledge and love for Jesus Christ, that they might enjoy uh, uh, vibrant worship of the true and the living Lord, uh, that they may place themselves under the authority of his word and live their lives in a biblical world and life view, that they might enjoy the gift a fellowship together as they broke bread from house to house. And there's a description of, the, of God's gracious working through his church, of many coming to know the Lord Jesus, of their commitment to evangelism and to missions. Uh, we know in the scriptures that God is the one who sovereignly works as he chooses but our God, who sovereignly works as, his, as he chooses, has chosen to work in his church through officers, through those who are raised up to serve, especially to serve as elders and as deacons in Christ's church. So I'd like for us to kind of spend a few moments now talking about the role of leader, leaders in Christ's church. You'll notice in the handout uh, uh, the church mission statement that we and our, as a congregation and our session, our elders have adopted. I encourage you to take a look at that and think about um, the things to which 
uh, we have identified that we're called by the Lord Jesus and the Word of God. Um, But let's talk for a minute about the role of leaders in the life of the people of God. My brother enjoys Corvettes. There have been times where he's had either two or maybe three Corvettes. Uh, He's eight years older, and so one of the benefits I had as I was coming along was able to at least sit in the Corvettes. He didn't always let me ride, drive them, but he did some. One of the Corvettes that my brother Mike had was the pace car. It was based on the Indianapolis Corvette pace car. It was identical to it. And, uh, you know, a pace car, uh, those who are NASCAR aficionados, I'm not an expert, but I have friends that really enjoy NASCAR. The pace car sets the pace before the race. And I like to think of officers in Christ's church as pace setters. Normally, a church of the Lord Jesus goes no further spiritually than the spiritual condition and state of the officers, elders, and the deacons whom God raises up. What is the role, what are the functions of officers in the life of Christ's church as they set the pace? One aspect of this is that officers serve as a role of example. If you want to know what a Christian is to look like, we are to consider officers in our church, for they're called to exemplify, to be a type of Christ. Uh, As we go through the handout, I'm, I'm just drawing on one or two verses, and you can look in more detail on your, on your own. But 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, specifically addressed to the role of elders in the life of the people of God, that they are to be examples to the flock. Officers serve as examples. But officers also provide vision, a sense of, of direction, of guidance, in what way we should go as the people of God. We're familiar with that Proverbs from Proverbs chapter 29, that without a vision, the people perish. Officers provide leadership and direction. Uh, The first Chronicles passage, uh, the men of Issachar understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Our officers are to be those who know the Lord Jesus and his word, who understand the context of our current environment and situation in our community and in our church, and who provide vision and direction. And then the scriptures speak of the way in which officers serve the role as their servants of the people of God. The Lord Jesus made it very clear that leadership in Christ's church is not to be like the religious leaders or like those that would lord it over. Instead, authority in Christ's church is demonstrated especially through service. Just as our Lord Jesus with ultimate authority came not to be served, but to serve. Even laying down his life as a ransom. For many, officers serve the function of providing order uh, 
in a church. Many of our women are studying the book of Titus. And Paul instructs Titus as he's left him at the island of Crete that in chapter 1, verse 5, that he might put in order what remained of the work there. And then officers and particularly elders have the role and function to teach and are guardians of the truth. This is a very significant role that elders play and officers support, uh, that God's word is faithfully proclaimed and that uh, what is communicated from the pulpit and lecterns of this congregation conform with the, the truth of God's revealed word to us. Uh, we are called uh, to guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to us, those who are raised up by God as officers and elders, as Paul charges young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. And then finally, as we look at this collage, this overview of the role and function of officers, officers serve as shepherds. They're shepherds of God's flock. Here again, that passage from 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verses 1 and 2. Uh, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. These are the admonition to those whom God has raised up, especially to the office of elders. And then finally, there's this aspect of equipping the saints. Officers are designed to help train and deploy the people of God in ministry. As Paul reminds us in uh, the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, that the role of officers is to equip saints for the work of ministry. We have a work together as the people of God, and officers are involved in equipping us and preparing us and deploying us in Christ's name that we might serve our uh, community. I'd like now to shift for a moment, having talked a little bit about the big picture purpose of the church and um, the role of officers in general, I'd like for us to kind of bring our altitude down a little bit as we look at our handout, focusing especially on the role and origin of the office of elder. Uh, uh, the eldership in Christ's church traces its origins to the Old Testament. Uh, Moses gathered 70 elders from Israel that they might aid him and advise him. The word elder, especially as it's used in the Old Testament, refers to someone who is advanced in years. And there's a slightly different usage when we come to consider it in the New Testament. So the backdrop to this office of eldership in Christ's church is there in the Old Testament. But it's not until the New Testament that it's more clearly defined. Uh, there's a reference, especially in Acts chapter 20, where the Apostle Paul uh, meets with the elders 
from Ephesus on the island of Miletus. And we'll spend a few moments later looking at some of those verses and teaching of Paul to those elders. We also find instruction by the Apostle Paul in his pastoral letters or epistles in Titus chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. And then there are other references that speak with references to elders. It is true with the office of elder as well as other offices in Christ's church that the origin of this office lies ultimately in our Lord Jesus Christ, the great king and head of his church. In First Peter, there is special reference to Christ. Uh, Christ is the one who is the chief shepherd. He is the one who is the overseer, the bishop of our souls, we're reminded. And in Acts chapter 20, Paul describes for us some of the specific role and functions of elders as he describes them as those who are overseers, are episcopos, bishops. Um, This is the same term that Peter uses when he talks about our Savior Jesus Christ and his role in leadership among his people. Um, What does it mean to be an overseer in Christ's church? Well, at the heart of it, it has to do with ruling and leading his people. Elders are charged with directing the affairs of Christ's church. Especially this description in the book of Hebrews of elders, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, where the members of the body of Christ are called to obey your leaders and submit to them And then the description of leaders, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. There is this aspect of elders who are keeping watch, who are guarding, who are caring for the flock who have a responsibility for God, for their stewardship of how they care for Christ's people and the overcharge that they take. Uh, Certainly, uh, this is something to be done with great uh, uh, joy in the Lord out of a love for Christ and a love for Christ's people. There's this aspect of leading, of ruling Christ's people. But then there's secondly this aspect of guarding. Here, the Apostle Paul in Acts 20, as he's meeting with those elders on the island of Miletus, elders from Ephesus, uh, reminds them that they are to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he Uh, which was obtained with his own blood. There's a sense in which the Spirit of our God has raised up and appointed these elders and that they are to treasure the flock, the people of the Lord Jesus Christ. For our Savior uh, laid down his life. He shed 
his own blood. They are a people of his own possession. In this broader context, in Acts 20, there is reference to enemies. You may remember the description of wolves, fierce wolves, ready to come in to devour the people of God. Elders are those who are involved in guarding, protecting, defending the people of God against the enemies, against the world, the flesh, and helping them in fighting uh, the devil. Uh, Just as we're often reminded in our congregation uh, of how Christ is building his church at the very gates of hell. Um, There is indeed uh, a concern about the danger of failed leadership in this passage, uh, that the elders are to be faithful with discharging their duties because false teachers are those who teach twisted things would soon come in. And Paul himself is an example of an elder who provided this watchful guarding, this loving concern for the people of God. In his case, he spoke that he did not cease night and day in admonishing them with tears, with love and care. Uh, for them. So here in Acts 20, we have this description of elders as overseers, episcopos, as those who are uh, guardians of the truth and of the flock of God. And then there is this aspect of nourishing that's found for us in the New Testament. Uh, the shepherd is, as an episcopos, as an overseer, is a shepherd. He is to shepherd the Lord's flock. Uh, This is the thrust that we've already seen by the apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, uh, not under compulsion. Uh, And as the church Officers and the elders nourish and build up spiritually the flock of God. There is reference to the central role of promoting God's word and teaching God's truth. As we're reminded by Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 5, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. There is much uh, discussion about this verse. There's been a lot of ink spilt over its truth, uh, for there is reference here to elders who rule well. And then there's reference especially to elders who labor in preaching and teaching. Many will look at this and see that here within the eldership are elders who serve as ruling elders and other elders who serve as teaching elders uh, who are charged especially with preaching and teaching the word of God and making it clear and plain to the people of God. In the ARP church, uh, there, is, uh, there are three essential offices. Uh, the, role, the, the elder who rules, 
the deacon who serves, and the minister of the gospel. During the time of the Reformation, uh, John Calvin and many of our Puritan forefathers would add a fourth office, and that would be the teacher, the doctor, the professor. Uh, Certainly in our ARP context, the teacher is seen, the professor is seen as a subset under uh, the minister of of the gospel. Uh, Certainly... uh, For those whom God raises up as elders, there are some particular challenges in some contexts of ministry. There can be a mentality that elders are uh, more in the business of of, uh, farming sheep as opposed to herding sheep. Uh, Those who are sheep farm directors, CEOs, as opposed to those involved as shepherding the flock. And certainly the scripture calls upon those whom God raises up as elders to be involved in the life of the people of God, to treasure them and to pray for them, to guide and instruct them. Uh, There's another challenge to those whom God raises up as elders. In in many churches, uh, one can become accustomed after years of kind of sitting in the pew Uh, being a sheep of the fold to transitioning into becoming one who is charged with caring for the sheep. Uh, The shepherd is the one who is out before the flock, the one with with God's grace, with vision and goals and and ministry of of serving the flock, the one who is a strategist. Uh, And so... It requires for one to be an elder in Christ's church, that this elder must be spiritually mature. The word elder in the New Testament is presbyteros, which is not tied directly to age, to a maturity of age, but more of a a spiritual maturity of spiritual graces and gifts. But we are reminded here that an elder is not to be a recent convert, someone who has walked with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Well, let's uh, consider the qualifications, the description of elders in the New Testament. There are two lists uh, that Paul speaks of in Titus chapter 1 and in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and I'll mention that this uh, uh, lecture, this session tonight in the School of Theology is very relevant for us as a congregation, for we have begun the process of nominating officers to elders and to deacons, and I'm reminded of the nomination box in the corner of this room as we have received information. It's a very important process to pray for and to consider the qualifications. Um, Perhaps few things are more important in a congregation than who that congregation elects to serve as elders and deacons. It shapes the course of a congregation for years to come. Well, let's think for a moment about some of the qualifications described for elders. I've essentially 
compared and collated uh, 1 Timothy and Titus 1 uh, to consider five areas that Paul speaks of concerning an elder's life. The first concerns mastery of self, being under the control of the Holy Spirit, someone who is self-controlled and temperate, uh, some, uh, as described in 1 Timothy. But it's not only just a matter of mastery of self. There is this character quality of domestic life, the husband of one wife. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. How is one able to rule the household of God if they're unable to provide leadership and service and spiritual guidance in their own home is Paul's argument. And then thirdly is that of hospitality or that of open-heartedness being warm and welcoming, hospitable to others. And then fourthly, this dimension of a spiritual commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, that the elder's life is marked by being disciplined, upright, and holy. And then, and then fifthly, uh, it's important that the elder grasp the apostolic truth of the Scriptures, knows the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and able to use the word of God. As this is spelled out as one being apt to teach in 1 Timothy chapter 3, but also in Titus chapter 1, where we're reminded he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. This aspect of being spiritually mature and understanding the truth of the word of God, not only being able to teach it, but being able to refute error is key to the role and function of guarding the flock of God. Well, here we're reminded of these qualities that are positive qualities, and then Paul finishes with more of an admonition in a, in a more negative way that the elder must be even above reproach in his relationships with others, uh, in the body of Christ, and even those who are outside of Christ's body, uh, causing a question of what do outsiders think of this individual. These are the qualities and the description described of, of, of elders who serve as stewards in Christ's church and have a, a responsibility to be faithful stewards in God's household and faithful teachers. Um, well, let's consider for a few moments, we've talked about the role and function, the origin, the qualities of those who serve as elders uh, let's, for the remaining portion of our time, consider the role and the origin of the office of deacon. When we turn to the New Testament, where there are various lists of officers, it is very striking that there is one office that is not mentioned. For example, in 
Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip uh, the saints for ministry. Uh, What's missing here is a reference to deacons, to the diaconate. Uh, This word deacon is used uh, only three times in our New Testament. As Paul writes the church at Philippi, he writes uh, to them, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Um, And many will go in consideration of the role of deacons uh, turning to the book of Acts chapter 6. Remember here uh, in the, the church at Jerusalem, there was a need that arose between uh, the Hellenist and the Hebrew women and concerning the distribution of, of, of need and of food. And so God uh, gave wisdom to the apostles that others would be raised up to serve, uh, that they would be able to be set free to continue It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And so here, uh, many would look to the seven as the origin of the office of the diaconate. But we find uh, two of these seven, both uh, Stephen and Philip, later in the book of Acts, actually the next chapter, chapter 7, and I believe in chapter 8, where they are taking the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, on further examination, uh, these seven are not primarily deacons, but they are more evangelists. They are lieutenants who assist the apostles in making uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ known. Uh, Many have looked at Acts chapter 6, and they've also created a dividing wall between elders and deacons as uh, two separate ministries, that elders are involved with spiritual work and deacons are only doing practical work. Uh, But I think this is to misunderstand uh, the nature of the role of deacon and to misunderstand what's at the heart of Acts chapter 6. The role of elders and deacons are of one ministry. And I think Acts chapter 6, though it doesn't give us the origin of deacons, it does lay out the pattern of the ministry of the word and the ministry of God's word put into practice in deed. Just as the gifts described for us in the New Testament are speaking gifts and serving gifts, that the sign gifts in Romans chapter 12, for example, they end when Scripture is written with the inscripturation of God's Word. But the speaking gifts and the serving gifts uh, continue. Uh, And wherever we find deacons mentioned in our New Testament, it's always in connection with the role and ministry of the elders. Uh, And as we think about the qualifications for deacons, we find that they too parallel um, that of the eldership in Christ 
church. First Timothy chapter 3, 8 to 10, uh, we're reminded that deacons are to be people of character. Verse 8, they must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They are to be people who are characterized by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And they are to be people of proven and demonstrated worth. Uh, Verse 10, and let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. And then we find uh, later in verse 12 the same reference to the importance of maintaining integrity in uh, the family. This word deacon that we find in our New Testament, uh, uh, the word diakonos, uh, means a servant. And here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, we're reminded uh, for those who serve well as deacons. A deacon is seen as a ministry of servanthood. It is a practical work of caring for the needs of Christ's people and flock. Just because it's a practical work doesn't mean that it does not have a spiritual dimension. It very much has a spiritual component and intention to it. Think about the parable of the good, the good Samaritan. Or that how our Lord Jesus Christ is our chief deacon. He came in service. In our own tradition in the ARP church and in other reform churches, uh, we learn that the deacons are associated with uh, a sympathy and service after the example of Christ, that they're charged with the material needs of the flock of God's people. And I put a couple quotes from uh, related to John Gerardot, who served in our own community, who had a great affection for the role of the deacons in the body of Christ. Uh, He saw this aspect of caring for the needy, for the poor, as at the heart of the board of deacons, this ministry of mercy, of bearing witness to the Lord Jesus Christ, indeed, as essential and at the heart of those who are raised up to serve as deacons in Christ's church. There's also this aspect of total stewardship, deacons being involved not only in the distribution of needs to others, but in receiving resources and helping the people of God with planning their stewardship of the monies entrusted to them Um, by the Lord Jesus. And then finally, uh, there's this aspect of deacons who are concerned about the property and the maintenance of Christ's church and of the buildings associated with where the Lord's people gather and assemble and worship. Uh, 
Here, there is a challenge for deacons as well. At the heart of being a deacon is service. And there can be a grasp for seeking to draw attention to one's self, of fighting the temptation uh, towards being recognized, or perhaps fighting the temptation towards what might be seen as upward mobility, that the real ministry is that of the elder. We find in the scriptures that the role of the deacon is essential. The role of the elders is also essential. They're two sides of the same coin. They're of one ministry together for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. And so we're called, those who are raised up as deacons, are called to serve as you do it as one, as unto the least of these, you do it as unto me, Christ reminds us. We're called to serve like Christ who didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he freely humbled himself and he served his people. Um, As we think about the role and function of elders and deacons, uh, we come to our need as the people of God for uh, support of elders whom God raises up and for deacons who serve among us. That passage, once again, from the book of Hebrews chapter 13, obey your leaders and submit to them. I think that means for us, uh, I'm very thankful for the elders and deacons that God has raised up among us in our own congregation. We are richly blessed by their growing love for the Lord Jesus and their commitment to our spiritual welfare. And so we are to pray for our officers. We are to support them and encourage them. We are to be uh, church members who fulfill our duties that their work might indeed be a great joy and that our Lord Jesus and his kingdom would be advanced. Um, But here is the reminder for us in this passage Uh, from Hebrews chapter 13, that we might be one who show appropriate respect to our leaders. Uh, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Certainly that doesn't mean that we're not able to engage our leaders and let them know of our needs, but it's recognizing that the Lord Jesus is the one who has raised them up and set them aside for our own welfare and for the glory of his name. Let's uh, pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we praise your glorious name. We rejoice in our Savior Jesus Christ, who is our chief shepherd and overseer, the one who is the chief deacon among us. We give thanks to you for the gifts that our Lord Jesus Christ has given to his church as he is now exalted at your right hand, that he has given the gifts of elders and deacons. We give thanks to you for those whom you've raised up to serve as elders and deacons among us in our congregation. We pray for this ongoing nomination process that you might give us elders with love and heart for you and for your people and deacons eager and able 
to serve, that we as a congregation might fulfill our joyful duties of making you known, both your word going forth and our doing good works in your name. We pray this for the honor and glory of our Savior and King. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.